Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. We're in a series in the Psalms. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 3. Psalm 3. We've got this week and next week will be Psalm 51. Uh, That will finish our series in the Psalms. And then we're going to start Romans, the book of Romans, uh, the third Sunday of this month. I don't know what that date is, but that's when we're starting it. Um, And that's going to be great. So if you want to read ahead in Romans, you can do that as well. Psalm 3. It's just eight verses. We'll read all eight verses. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right, sounds like most of you. Let's read. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. He who has ears to hear the word of the Lord, let them hear. This is the first prayer in the book of Psalms. And it is the first psalm attributed to David. You remember David, the shepherd boy, become king. Uh, He's a warrior. He's a shepherd. He's a musician. He's a poet. He's kind of a renaissance guy. And the Bible makes this incredible statement about him. He's a man after God's own heart. And we know he's not a perfect man. We know he had failures. He he made some egregious failures. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But this is a morning prayer. We're getting a window into David's morning devotion. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you try, just kind of assess yourself right now, to begin your day with your attention, your heart, your mind, Going towards the Lord, reaching out for Him, spending time in His Word, spending time in prayer. Morning devotion is something that the church has encouraged and uh, the Bible even encourages. It's not a law. It's not a rule. It's not like you're going to be spiritually less than if you'd rather pray at night than in the morning. But there is something, I think, that's powerful about beginning your day with your mind and heart and attention being directed on Him. And I know that we live in a day where, I don't have my phone with me, but we have a day where a lot of us, we wake up, our eyes pop open, and the first thing we reach for is the plug into our phone to unplug it so that we can open it up and start checking whatever your social media preference is. I didn't get a lot of acknowledgments there, but y'all, y'all, y'all are like, oh, please don't talk about that. Um, I know, I'm guilty of it too. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I've told you before, I'm a bit of an insomniac, and sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't go back to sleep, and it's so easy just to grab my phone and start reading USA Today. I get the news before you do, right? But I think how we begin our day is important. I mean, sometimes if you're like me, I wake up and I'm raring to go. 
I woke up that way this morning, ready to go. Church day, right? My favorite day of the week, all right? How many of you are your favorite day? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to ask you that. But there's some mornings I wake up, and I don't want to wake up. There's some mornings I wake up, and I start to think about what's ahead of me in the day, and I feel overwhelmed and overmatched. I feel like, you know what? I don't have the strength. I don't have the energy. I don't have the resources to face what's staring down at me when I get out of this bed. I, I've, there have been mornings where, because of my own mistakes and failures, I knew there was stuff staring me down that I didn't want to face. There have been times when I've had people working against me that I knew I was going to have to deal with that day, and I didn't want to deal with it. There are mornings that I've woken up, and there's stuff that I don't want to deal with in my marriage or with my kids. You know, there's some mornings we wake up and it, even though the light of the sun is breaking in over the horizon, the day feels dark. This is where David is, right? Look at verse 1 again. Oh, Lord, and that's not like just a casual sort of, oh, Lord, you know, when you, uh, you know, somebody cuts you off on the interstate. This is a desperate cry to the Lord. Oh, Lord, what? How many are my foes? He can't even count them. You ever had so many problems you couldn't even number them? You ever had so many challenges that you couldn't put a figure on it? This is where David is. How many are my foes? Many are rising against me. So it's not that just people don't like David. They're coming against him. And many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. People are looking at David and going, David, you got no hope, man. You're done. Have you ever been in a place where even your allies have nothing encouraging to say to you? This is where David is. Why? This is a dark day for David. This is a day he woke up and probably wishes he hadn't woke up because his son Absalom has mounted a rebellion against David and Israel. David has been dethroned. You remember the story about how David became king, right? Shepherd boy, prophet shows up, anoints him king. Years later, he becomes what will go down in history as probably the greatest king ever in Israel's history. At one point, the Bible says he defeated all his enemies and established peace on every border. This is an incredible king, and he's been dethroned. His son Absalom, it took him about four years, but he, he started this subversive movement. He would allow people to come to him, and he would act as an authority figure and try to settle their disputes and dispense justice. And he did this over a period of four years until he actually turned the affections and the loyalty of the nation of Israel against his father David and towards him. And now David is on the run. This once incredible king is now out on the run. And here's where he starts. He goes, oh, Lord, how many are my foes? I can't even count them. Many are rising up against me. And even my friends and allies are saying, David, you've got no hope. But I love the fact that David begins this dark morning with a cry to God. Because I don't know about you, but I begin, I, I've begun many dark mornings in my own life where I don't start with, oh, Lord, I start with, oh, no. 
or I start with woe is me. When you find yourself in this place, listen to me, you've got a really critical decision to make and you've got a very short amount of time to make it. That critical decision is where are you going to turn on those dark mornings? What are you going to do? Are you going to try to distract yourself? That's, that's what a lot of people do in our culture right now. Is Instead of facing our problems, we try to find immediate, albeit temporary, relief by distracting ourselves, by coping. We turn to substance. We turn to media and entertainment. We turn to pornography. We turn to all manner of things to try to distract ourselves, ignore our problems, and just cope with them. And if you give your heart an inch, it'll take a mile. You with me? If you give yourself even a minute to just think about where am I going to turn, take it from experience. And I don't have to convince you of this because you've been there. My heart will run to everything else but to the one who actually has the resources to guide me, sustain me, and deliver me. So i got a critical decision to make. Am I going to do like David? Oh, Lord! How many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are even saying, you've got no hope, David. And then this little weird word, strange, Selah. Scholars debate what this word means. There's all kind of ideas about it. But I, I tend to agree with the ones who take it to mean that it is in the song or the psalm a time to pause. So imagine David acknowledging his problems to the Lord. He's not ignoring them. He's not just trying to cope with them. He's not trying to distract himself. He's going straight to the Lord. and He's going, Lord, here's what I'm staring down. Right? And then he pauses. And I think that word means a pause, a meditation that is coupled with worship. It's, like, it's almost like David just sandwiches his problems with a cry to God and then a pause, right? What do you do in that pause, okay? A lot of people can, re can recite to you very quickly what their problems are. But sometimes we just, we, all we do is we just stay right there. We live right there. We don't actually pause and go, okay, who am I crying out to? What, who is this God? What has he said to me? What has he promised? Who is he? What kind of God is he? Because right after that pause, David starts to rehearse that. God, here are my problems. I can't deal with them. And then what? Verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. Do you know in ancient Israel, the king was often likened unto a shield. Because his job, at least in large part, was to protect the nation from enemies, foreign and domestic. Some of y'all get that in the parking lot. That was, his, that was his job. He's a shield. He's a protector. But he has to remind himself, Lord, you are my shield. Have you ever been in a place, this is what I stopped and thought about. Here's a king, right? A king who's responsible for a nation of people. And his problems have gotten so bad, this morning is so dark, here's what he realizes. I can not only protect myself, 
I can't protect the people I'm responsible for. Have you ever found yourself in such a mess where it's like, I don't even know what to do for the people that look to me for protection and provision? You look at your spouse, you look at your children, you look at your grandchildren, you look at your employees, you look at the people that you lead, the people that you care for. Maybe it's your aging parents. Maybe it's some other kind of family member or friend that you feel responsible for. But you find yourself on such a dark day that you realize, I have no ability to protect myself or them. This is where David is, but he starts to remind himself, Lord, you are my shield. You're my protector. You are the one who guards my, not only my life, but the people that have been entrusted to me. And then he makes this statement, you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. This season or this event in David's life comes on the heels of what might be considered his worst failure. He committed adultery with a lady named Bathsheba, and he had her husband murdered to cover it up. Now, God has forgiven him. God sent a prophet to confront him, and God, David has repented. David's remorseful. little insert. When you screw up, it's okay to be remorseful. <laughs> okay. we, we, it's, it's amazing to me how we dodge grief in this culture. But you know grief over our sin is a really good thing. Paul actually wrote to the Corinthians and he said, I know that my words to you have caused you grief, but I'm thankful because your grief has led to repentance. Okay? So David is sorrowful, he's repented, God's forgiven him, but he's having to deal with the natural consequences of his own failure. He knows, at least in part, this uprising and rebellion, me being dethroned, it's at least in part my fault. And can you imagine... Just, just think about your worst failures and your worst moments, the times where you caved and you screwed up big time. And, and imagine, just reimagine that guilt and that shame. And imagine what David's feeling right now. He's been dethroned. He's used to living in the palace, and he's probably sleeping under the stars on the run. This great and mighty king, right? He's feeling shame. He's feeling disgrace. But here's what he says, Lord... My son has stole my glory as king over Israel. But I'm going to remember that you're my glory. And you're the lifter of my head. You know what I think David's anchoring to right there? God's promise over David was, I'm going to make you a king and your throne I'm going to establish forever. So here's what David knows. And we need to know this. That even his failures though he's dealing with natural consequences, are not going to compromise God's promises over him. Even when we fail, God is faithful. Even when we screw it up, God's promises are not compromised because God doesn't forgive us. He doesn't make us righteous based on our efforts. 
Look at Romans chapter 8. Let me just read you this scripture. Joel, I love you, but can you slide one foot to the left so I can see that clock? (laughs) Thank you. I just got to keep track of my time. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who is interceding for us. Let me encourage you. When your failures bring about problems and enemies that are overwhelming you and overmatching you. Here's what you can know. God is the one who justifies you. His mercy is brand new every morning. When we walk in repentance, no one can hold any charge against us. He is faithful even when we are unfaithful. I'll give you about a C plus on that amen. That was good preaching right there. So David reminds himself, God is his shield, that God is faithful, God is the glory and the lifter of his head. And then here's what he says next, verse 4. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. And then he inserts another sailor right there. I think David is doing two things. I think he's looking back at God's faithfulness. This is not the first time David's faced enemies. This is not the first time that many have risen up against him. And he looks back, and here's what he sees in his history, is that God was still in control. Right? Even though David has been removed from his throne, here's what David knows. God is still on the throne. Right? So, when we feel like life's out of control, whether it's problems, stress, stress in our marriage, stress with our kids, work, whether it's an enemy of some sort, someone's come against you, someone's hurt you, you're experiencing disappointment, sickness, your body's breaking down. Whatever the, whatever the issue is, We know what it's like to feel out of control, don't we? Where it's like, I can't get the reins. Jesus, take the wheel. Here's the good news. You don't have to ask him to take the wheel because he's always had it. Huh? He's always had it. Even when life feels out of control, we need to remember God's still in control. How do you pray through a dark morning? I think you go to the Lord. It's not, oh no, it's, oh Lord, here's where I'm at. Here's what is coming up against me. It's too big for me, but you're my shield. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. You're faithful even when I'm unfaithful. And even when it feels like life is out of control, I know it's not because you're in control. And I love the little example he gives. Look at this. I cried aloud to the Lord. He answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept, and I woke again. 
for the Lord sustained me. You know what I think he's saying? I think he's saying that the very fact, you ever, you ever stopped, we, we were talking about this with the staff this week, is how weird, strange, amazing it is that God designed us to spend a third of our life asleep. Right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's so, we're so vulnerable right there. It's like you, you, you lay down at the end of the day and you've done all you can do. And your eyes want to shut so bad, but your mind's racing. And yet, here's what the Lord, we read, we read this as a staff this week from Psalm 127, is that he gives to his beloved sleep. And while we sleep, he works. And so David says, look, I lay down, I slept, and I woke up. And here's what he knows. The very fact that his heart kept beating, his lungs kept working, and an enemy didn't slip into his tent and kill him means God's not done with me. The fact that I woke up is evidence of the fact that he's still in control. Right? Enemies may rise. Problems may rise. I may mess it all up. He's in control. Right? I slept and then I woke because the Lord sustained me. Verse 6. I put a therefore in verse 6. You might have a different translation, and maybe there's one in there. There's not in the ESV. But I think there's an implied therefore. Right? Because I know God is my shield, because I know He's faithful even when I'm not faithful, because I know that even though I've been dethroned, He still sits on the throne and the very fact that I slept and woke up means he sustained me. Therefore, I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. If God is for us, who, no matter how many, no matter how big, no matter how strong, no matter how overwhelming, who can be against us? Right? You know, I've told you before that I battle a little bit of insomnia. Um, and I've had to learn how to depend on the Lord through that. Right? Sometimes I don't get enough sleep. And sometimes I have to wake up in the morning and say, Lord, you know I slept two hours. And you know what I need to do today. And so I have to depend on the Lord for that. And it's been really sweet. My, my daughter, who, as she begins school, I'm praying over her, by the way, that she won't battle the same thing. But as we started the school year, she's struggled uh, on a couple of nights to go to sleep. And I've had to remind her, look, if Jesus is with you, she can't stand to be alone. She cannot stand to be alone. She, she wants to be with people all the time. But I've had to tell her, look, if Jesus is with you, you're not alone. You're not alone. He's there, and if he's there, he's enough. And, you know, you, you have to repeat things to children. Sometimes you have to repeat things to adults. Oh, I got a better amen than I thought I'd get right there. But if I know all this about God, I'm not going to be afraid of whatever stands in my way. 
This prayer feels like a self-talk, but it's not. It's, it's, a, it's a rehearsal. It's, it's a cry out to God and then a rehearsal of what God has made known to us about himself. Right? That he is present and whatever it is that is standing in the way, coming against us, it seems to be in chaos. He's bigger, stronger, wiser, more powerful than it all. And sometimes we need to begin our day, even if it feels like a dark morning, and just remember that. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me. Verse 7. So arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. Here's what I love about that. I mean, break the teeth of the wicked is kind of cool in and of itself. But notice where the emphasis is. You strike my enemies. You break the teeth of the wicked. Let me just say this. It's not your... I'm not saying that God will not lead you strategically through problems. Here's what David knows, is that even if his enemies are defeated by his own sword, it'll be God who, gets, who does the victory. You with me? That, that's what David's reminding himself of, is that it's not to me to just pull myself up by my spiritual bootstraps and attack and try to overcome in my own strength. I might be led to pick up my sword. I might be led to rally the, the remnant of people who are still on my side, and we may defeat my son Absalom who's dethroned me. But either way, it's God who gets the victory. It's God who breaks the teeth of the wicked. And here's why that's important. Look at the next statement. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. When I read that, I'm reminded of the verse in Ephesians where Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Sometimes we make enemies out of people that just don't like us. Right? But here's what David knows, is that among the nation of Israel, there are people who have sided with Absalom because they've been deceived. You, you can read the story of Absalom's uprising in 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 18, and here's what you'll find out about Absalom. He was a smooth-talking, handsome liar. You might be wondering, how, how was he able to mount such a rebellion against David? And I read a quote from an, an old British um, guy. I don't know what his title was. I just know he's British. But he said this. He said, a lie can be halfway around the world before the truth gets its boots on. There's something about the human heart that we, we enjoy feasting on lies. It's just it's, it's evidence of our need of salvation and redemption and being born again because that's, that's where the human heart goes. And so that's what Absalom has done. And so David knows that Absalom has deceived some of God's people in the nation of Israel. And so even though some of those people might be speaking against David, they might be cursing David, he's living out what Jesus taught thousands of years later when he said, love your enemies. Pray for them who curse you and spitefully use you. Bless them. Don't curse them. Bless them. Why? Because God's the one who's going to break the teeth of the wicked. Right? 
our calling is to bless. It's like, it makes me think of Jesus on the cross when he's hanging there. And he goes, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. One of the biggest struggles that we face on these dark mornings is to turn to anger and bitterness for relief. And David's not going there. David's not going there. Because, listen, anger and bitterness and holding a grudge, it'll feel good for a little bit. And you know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It'll feel good for a little bit. But you know as well as I do, it provides no lasting relief. Now, turning to the Lord, facing your problems head on while turning to Him, reminding yourself of His promises, right? And acknowledging the fact that, Lord, it's you who will get the victory. You'll bring the salvation. You'll break the teeth of the wicked. I'm going to bless even my enemies. That's going to be painful at first. That's not immediate relief. But it is long-term healing and salvation. Because you'll live out what Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart. Right? Here's, I've walked with the Lord long enough. Praise team, you can come on. I've walked with the Lord long enough to know most of the time in fact I I would say all of the time before God fixes or changes my circumstances he always works to change my perspective he always works to renew my mind first before he changes what it is that I am feeling overwhelmed and overmatched by Because why? He wants me to know more than anything because this is the only way I will have lasting joy that He's my shield. He's my glory. He's the lifter of my head. Right? He is still on the throne even though I feel like I've been dethroned. Right? He is my victory. He is my salvation. He'll Take care of the wicked. New Testament says this, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Right? He'll take care of the wicked. He'll take care. If, it, it doesn't matter who's trying to oppose me. David knew if they're opposing me, they're opposing God. And if God's for me, who can be? Right? And that perspective is powerful because it allows me, even in the darkest moments, even in the biggest fights, of my life, in my marriage, with my kids, with my career, ministry, my neighbor, my family. He's my source. He's my joy. I can trust Him. If you're facing a dark morning today, Maybe you're dreading one tomorrow. You know, maybe you're, you're like, you know what? I don't even want to go to sleep tonight because I don't want to have to wake up in the morning. Or maybe you've just got, maybe you've got anxieties and stress and challenges that you're trying to manage 
but you're, you're growing tired and weary. Let God change your perspective. Let him establish the most beautiful rhythm that could ever be established in our life is where we come to him and say, Lord, here, here. And even if your failures have brought about the chaos, let the Lord remind you this morning that he's faithful even when we're unfaithful. We're going to sing about this, okay? There's a refrain in this song. I've seen you move. I've seen you move mountains. How many of you can testify that that's who God is? That's what he's done in your life, right? And I'll see you do it again. You did it for David. You've done it for me. You've done it for the person sitting next to me. I don't have to fear the dark mornings because if you've done it before, you'll do it again, right? So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to face it. Don't be afraid to just cry, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, I need you. And I promise you, he's going to bring some peace in here this morning that passes understanding because for David, he got to the end of this psalm and the problems weren't fixed and the enemies weren't defeated yet. But I think he left that morning prayer with a spring in his step, with a confidence in God, with joy in God and with hope, right? If God's done it before, he'll do it again. Stand with me. Lord, I'm asking that you would encourage us as a people, us as a church, individuals and families, that you're a faithful God and there's nothing too hard or too big for you. Let our problems and enemies shrink as you are magnified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.